Hi friends, welcome back to the interview podcast. Today I have with me sci-fi author O.R. Lee. Is that how I'm saying it correctly? That's it. Perfect. Hello and thank you for being here. Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your book. Sure. Well, hey, I'm Ollie. I uh, am originally from North Wales, but now living on the south coast of England. Um, I am a science fiction writer, uh, as of recently. And um, yeah, my book is a near future science fiction novel uh, set in the Persian Gulf. Um, the basic concept being that a uh, an asteroid hit the moon, creating uh, a ring of deadly dust which is moving down to earth and um it we follow a biologist who is studying the dust and learning a bit more about it and finding that the real threat behind it is not what we initially thought interesting so when did you realize you wanted to be a writer if you said it's recently so i say recently because <clears throat> actually that uh, specifically a science fiction writer as of recently because i i've uh, always been a writer um i never really uh pigeonholed myself into the genre of science fiction because i've always just kind of written whatever takes my interest but um this book i didn't really ever sort of sit down and think i want to write a science fiction book it's just i knew that the parameters for the book i wanted to write sort of required it to be science fiction because i knew okay it's going to be set in the future um it's going to be different in, in ways that can be attributed to uh, nature and the environment and science so oh i guess i'm a science fiction writer now <laughs> and that's how that came about really interesting so did you write fiction before or was it i did yes and okay. i've never um really sort of settled on a particular genre um but you know i've I, i've done an urban fantasy one about vampires in jordan um i uh, there was another sort of a young adult urban fantasy one actually i think urban fantasy is the only genre i've written twice so uh um uh, and then there's been some horror some thrillers some crime um but uh, yeah, science fiction has definitely uh, captured my interest in recent years, especially since I've started reading more of it. Yeah, wow, that's fantastic. So do you write full time or do you also have what I like to call a muggle job? Yeah, the muggle job is the one that pays the bills. Uh, so yeah, yeah we're definitely still doing that. Um, you know, even when it has a fantastic month, it doesn't even come close to uh, uh, keeping the house afloat. But, yeah. um, you know, uh, I think we can all agree that would be the dream. But, um, yeah, it's a very far off dream. Yes, definitely a very far off dream. But everyone's dream, nonetheless. It's what we strive towards. It is. And I'm actually quite lucky in the sense that my mogul job uh, is I'm, I'm a laboratory analyst. So I'm sitting in a fume cabinet, uh, analysing samples through a microscope most of the day, which is a very focused task and allows me to essentially just listen to audiobooks most of the day. So <laughs> I'm basically reading while I'm working most of the time. And everyone who has listened to this podcast is now insanely jealous of you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yes. Yeah. So where do you get the ideas for your books? I mean, the ideas come from um, uh, pretty much anywhere, actually. I'm, I'm mostly inspired by moods and aesthetics and, mm -hmm. uh, and sort of general feelings and settings rather than any particular ideas. You know, I've, I've never kind of seen a... a, a a, a movie about robots and think I'm going to do a, a book about robot warriors or whatever. <laughs> so it's, 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 it's always a bit more sort of a higher level than that. So, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, uh, I wrote a book about uh, like African mercenaries and uh, a journalist protagonist set in um, a fictional uh, country in West Africa. And that was essentially inspired just by the mood of the game Far Cry 2, which I'd been playing. And I just, it was just such a, an amazing, oppressive setting and feel i thought i'd love to recreate this in a book um 
And then, you know, another time I watched, uh, did you catch the Netflix series about um, Chernobyl? And it just reminded mm-hmm. me how much I love that sort of early 80s aesthetic, everything just blocky plastic edges. And I thought I'd love to do kind of like an alternative history, uh, science fiction, something set in a sort of a, a Soviet uh, environment, um, which was actually the seminal idea for Rebekai, my current novel. Oh. Well, that's actually fascinating. Um, you mentioned earlier that you have quite a backlist of books in in various genres. Which mm. one has been your favourite book to write so far? Favourite book to write? Um, I mean, I can approach that question from a couple of uh, different angles, because in many ways, the earlier ones were more fun to write, because I didn't feel under pressure to work too hard to make them amazing, because I never, yeah. I, I never um, uh, had any intention of trying to publish them or at least not the early ones anyway a few a few mm-hmm. towards the end i did uh, give them a go but this this one i really wanted to make sure it was good enough to uh, yes. put out there and, and subject to the scrutiny of readers which meant it was a lot more hard work and hard work is not as much fun as less hard work um but at the same time the final result was infinitely more satisfying because of all the hard work i put in and, and the uh, the quality that came out of that yeah um but if we're going to go branch out and say, I think my favourite previous book to have written was uh, that vampire urban fantasy one I mentioned because uh, yeah. uh, it, I just went all out. I actually co-wrote that with another author. She kind of took control of the female protagonist. I took control of the male vampire protagonist. And he was just an absolute 80s action hero. You know, <laughs> any, any, any 80s uh, character who was played by Harrison Ford, that's basically who he was, you know, Indiana Jones. Nice. Or, uh, yeah, it was it was good. Nice. No, I love that. Plus, who doesn't love a vampire? Well, this is it. Yeah. Yeah. It was I, think, I think us humans have have a weird soft spot for vampires. I'm not quite sure why, but we it's do. a strange one, isn't it? Yeah, you yeah. know, kind of liches, zombies, the other undead. <laughs> they don't get quite the same sort of. Um, it's unfair, really. But no, vampires—they're obviously doing something right. Yes. Yes. And do you have a favorite character from your book? Uh, from the present book. Yes. Yes, um, it's almost a bit of a no-brainer in a way because it is a single POV um, mm-hmm. book uh, and uh, Tahira, the main uh, protagonist, was uh, a lot of fun to write. Um, it was um, a bit of a unique challenge because I've chosen to write a female protagonist and mm-hmm. as a man writing a female protagonist, there's an awful lot of pitfalls you have to try and avoid falling into, you know, not romanticizing or idealizing your character. So I enjoyed the additional challenge of that. But on the other hand, um, I, I I grew up um, <clears throat> with my my mum was a, a single parent, and most of the role models I've had in my life uh, have been women. So it's actually kind of natural for me when I'm trying to put someone in a hero's position. It's it's naturally natural for me to populate that position with a woman. Um, oh. So. Um, uh, so yeah, it was it was uh, quite a uh, quite a natural thing to do, and I, I I'm happy that it came out the other end without me falling into any of those classic uh, man traps. No, I love that, and that's really that's like a really sweet sentiment as well. So yes, you mentioned in the pre-interview questions that you're also a tabletop gamer. So is that things like Dungeons and Dragons? What kind of games do you play? More recently, uh, in recent years, yes, I have been getting into a bit of that. Um, I appreciate that more from the storytelling point of view, because any game yeah. you can come from the kind of the I want to 
create the most powerful character who's just going to trounce everyone and ruin the dungeon master's plans um sort of character or you can come from a you know i want to tell a really good story um uh, it's actually only only in recent years that i've started doing that earlier than that i i did what is usually referred to as play by post role play which is effectively collaborative storytelling so you know you write a post on a forum um telling a bit of the story and then the other person takes over from their character's point of view and it is a sort of a role play but it's over a longer period of time and um uh what what you end up with sort of looks like a, a rather bloated novel you know is it, imagine if a novelist sort of picked up from another point of view and then forgotten where they were and goes over the same things again a little bit but uh but um i, I always found that <clears throat> very satisfying uh, because what you end up with um can actually then be tidied up and compressed into novel form yeah. Um, so I did that for a long time. And then, uh, a few years ago, uh, when I started at my present company, um, a guy suggested, oh, I, I'm actually in a group. We play Dungeons and Dragons. Would you like to come and give it a try? And I said, yeah, sure. Why not? I've always, I've always been curious about that. So they invited me to, um, come and play in their D and D campaign. Uh, and I immediately, of course, started thinking about all these characters I could play, like, who do I want, you know, and I, I, I think I designed in my head, like five or six characters that I might want to play. Um, and, um, you know, fleshed them all out with backstories and, you know, practiced making the character sheets, because that's the, the hard bit for a new player. Um, but then the game was actually delayed uh, for quite a long time, and we didn't actually get around to playing, but I had all these characters sort of living rent free in my head and i thought well, i've got to do something with that and i ended up writing a small novel um starring these six characters uh which i turned into a little sort of young adult fantasy novel which i basically dedicated to my daughter for her birthday oh my god you are actually the sweetest and also i've never heard of that like forum story thing so that like as a way of getting into storytelling like that sounds incredible it is it is i i I've spoken to a few other people who were familiar with it, um, but it's a good way of storytelling if you struggle with uh, the motivation of sitting down and writing by mm. yourself, because at any one time, there's probably at least one other person who's waiting on a reply from you. So there's that added social pressure to kind of get a little bit written, even if it's just 250, 500 words. Yeah, no, I love that. Okay, so we're going to get into the nitty gritty of being a writer. Mm. So are you an early bird or a night owl? So what is your typical writing routine and do you plot or are you a pantser? Right, yes. Yeah. So um, uh, I'm more of uh, more of an evening writer, mm -hmm. uh, I would say, um, mornings. I don't know why. I'm, I'm always an early riser, but I, I just don't know why my brain refuses to think of the morning as writing time. <laughs> I, think, I think part of the problem for me is that I struggle to write or indeed concentrate on any important task if I know that something is happening um, which is going to pull me away from that. So it's mm. kind of like I might have three hours until I get to work, but I know that work is going to come along eventually and means I have to stop. And for some reason, that writes it off. As, it's, it's probably stupid. I'm probably missing out on some very productive hours there. Um, so, yeah, I, I tend to do most of my writing in the evening. Mm -hmm. um, plotting and pantsing, very, very much a plotter. Me. Yeah, I um, uh, so much so that my writing process normally goes like I have one document and I will start writing notes, sort of rough uh, notes, not even quite a synopsis, but you know, the, the notes sometimes can be quite detailed, they can have mm -hmm. like points of scenes. Um, and then when I start writing properly, 
I'm literally going through the document, overwriting my old notes. Okay. So, uh, 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 you know, nothing happens until notes have happened first, most of the time. Um, the most frustrating part of that is in tracking my word count, because I might sit down and I might write a thousand words, but those thousand words will have overwritten 250 words of notes. So my documents only increased by 750 words. Yes. So, um, uh, so uh, uh, one downside of that, but... Um, the photo pants thing I always find quite interesting because people sometimes talk like it's some sort of a dichotomy that ends in a different sort of product. But we all, of course, have to go through the same editing process. And so if you're a plotter, you know, you have to kind of not be too stringent to what you've plotted and um, be uh, flexible if, if something that you originally thought you were going to put in there didn't work. Yeah. Um, and if you're more of a pantser, then inevitably you're going to find some holes or some things that need patching over in your finished product and i suppose the point is that by the time you've gone through all the editing process there shouldn't really be any remaining sign of whether you're a plotter or a pantser it should ultimately uh, adhere to the same rules yes yes exactly and do you use like any specific tools like are you a word person scrivener any other kind of writing aid I've primarily used uh, Google Docs, mainly yeah. because of the fact that you can access your files from anywhere and share them with anyone. Um, that I like that aspect of it. Literally, if yes. I, I realize that I want to change the way something's phrased, I can do it from my phone. I'm sure that's yes. probably true of Scrivener and Word and stuff, if you know how to do it. But, um, but I, I like that about Google Docs, the fact that you can just access it anywhere. Um, and I'm, I also swear by actually pro writing aid, which is a bit like yes. Grammarly. It's a slightly different thing, but, um, uh, yeah, I've, um, it, whenever I've worked with editors, which hasn't been very often, I found that actually, uh, pro writing aid can do most of, uh, what they, um, do a lot of the time. No, I'm not trying to put people out of a job here because, uh, obviously, you know, uh, you go to an editor for, um, uh, for a lot of other reasons than that, but yes. it will, it will not only pick up things that can be improved about your writing, but will, it will also explain to you the reasons why uh, th this rule exists or how that rule works. So say if you're yeah. using semicolons wrong, it will take you to a video and it will explain to you when it's right and wrong to use semicolons. Yeah, I do like that about ProWritingAid. The other feature I love in ProWritingAid is that you can compare your writing to that of other authors. So there's like a I section that, that you yes. can, Yeah, so I... I've said it to like a couple of different ones just to see like what happens when, when my writing is compared to it. It's very interesting. That's right. Yes. I use 1% more, more weak adverbs than George R. Martin or something like that. <laughs> you know, it's like, um, actually it's genuine. I, I say it flippantly, but it's genuinely interesting to know things like that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I always, I always do find those reports interesting. Um, what's been the most exciting part about your publishing journey so far? Um, published as far. So, um, Rebekai is my seventh book, but it's only mm -hmm. my first properly self-published one. Okay. Um, and, um, by far the most exciting thing is when you just start to see readers connect with it. Yes. Um, because, uh, you know, I, I could have been quite happily sitting here writing by myself forever, but when, when someone else steps into the world you've created, it just makes it that little more real and that little more fun um so yeah I, I think just seeing the reviews come in um it is super exciting uh it's just little moments like that when you know i, I looked the other day and i you know people have been doing the uh was it the, the mid-year um reading 
tag on YouTube and stuff, uh, talking about their reading progress so far. And I just randomly found that one person had named me as their favorite new author. Uh, and little things like that yeah. uh, is just, it really brings in the validation and, and, uh, and makes it worthwhile, all that uh, grueling hard work I was talking about earlier, which was not always fun in its own right. But um, it definitely uh, pays off when you start seeing things like that. Yeah. So a big question now. Mm. Have you made any mistakes and how did you learn from them? Oh, goodness. So many, so many, so many, so many. All of them, all of them. Um, um, the, I mean, in terms of individual uh, writing mistakes, you know, I, I fall into all of them. You know, the semicolons one earlier, I, I didn't mention that accidentally. I used to be a semicolon fiend. Yeah. Because um, I just assumed that they looked cool and they made you look like you knew what you were doing. Um, but um, I say about uh, this one being the first one I published, that's kind of only half true. And this feeds into what I consider my biggest mistake um, and essentially my thoughts on modern self-publishing. It's kind of a, a two-edged knife in a way, because on the one hand, it's great that we have these modes to self-publish and how easy it is. And we can, um, uh, you know, if, if we have a book we and you know the traditional publishing industry mm -hmm. won't have us you know there is another avenue for us and that's fantastic the flip side of that is i think it can be a little bit too easy and i'd say this from experience because this is exactly the trap i fell into it's the fact that um if uh people aren't picking up your book uh but you can see there that the self-publishing avenue is available um it's too easy to convince yourself that, well, I'm obviously an unappreciated genius in my time, so I'm going to go self-publish. Um, yeah. Whereas I think actually it would be better sometimes for us to just have a little bit of self-examination and go, am I as good a writer as I'm ultimately going to be? Or am I now being rejected because I haven't actually reached that stage yet? And so uh, in the early days, these early books, I did throw them up onto, um, you know, Lulu, the other sort of self-publishing site that was uh, quite big for a while. Mm -hmm. And then that connects to Amazon. Um, so these books were available for sale for a long time, but then when I was writing Rebekai, I looked back at these other ones and I thought, wow, these really don't reflect me as a writer anymore. If anyone came across these, they probably would actually be put off reading um, uh, the stuff I'm trying to put out now when I spent quite a bit of time trying to scrub their existence from the internet, which was a lot um, more difficult than you might think. Yes, uh, once you've put it out there, it's very hard to get rid of it. It is, it is. So... I think um, the mistake I made and conversely, the advice I'd give to people is, you know, take your time. Don't feel pressure to think that the first book you finish is going to be the book that defines you as an author because yeah. um, it's all a journey of progression and improvement. And, you know, you'll know, I think, when you reach a point where you're like, for me, it was with Rebekah, it was I did try it with agents. I tried pitching it and... I was getting rejections, but for the first time in all of the books I'd written, it, I was convinced it wasn't the quality of the book that was the issue. It was just, maybe this just isn't the right book for the right time for the right agents. Yeah. And I thought this book deserves, deserves a chance in the wild. No, definitely. And the thing is that self, self-published authors or independent authors do get a bad rap because there are some people out there who don't think about things when they do them. They think, oh, I've written a great story. It's fine. We'll just chuck it up on Amazon. And then somebody somewhere will buy it and they'll be like, well, this, this isn't edited. This doesn't have flow. It, you know, there's plot holes everywhere. Um, mm. And I think, I think people 
sometimes when they initially think of independent publishing they're like oh well it's just easy I can just do this and it's like well actually I would say it's harder work because you have to do everything you have to find the editor find the cover designer market the book yourself you, you know Absolutely. put it up on all the platforms and in I think people sometimes have this idea that it's going to be easy but actually it's it's a lot of hard work and the payoff can be amazing but it's not oh yeah I've I've written a book and I've checked it up on Amazon like it's it's not as simple as that it really isn't no and I, I wish it was because I think I'm sure we'd all we all would like to uh, live in a world where being an author involved nothing but writing stories but yes. unfortunately being an author there's a heck of a lot more um, involved than that um, and you're absolutely right you know that the the quality of self-published books out there uh is variable and i say that you know with the the deep-seated knowledge that i have made my um pitiful contribution to that in earlier years and you know as someone out there may unfortunately come across that first young adult urban fantasy i wrote and think oh gosh you know okay well that's what indie authors are like then i suppose but i'd be like no i've now written a really good one i promise yeah um, yeah that is always the fear isn't it that you're because you no matter whatever you do, the first time you do something, it's never going to be as good as the next time you do it because you always learn, you always grow, you always practice your craft and get better at it. So, I, I mean, I still do now. I've got a, a series of books up and I'm like, oh my God, mm. if somebody reads it, they're going to absolutely hate me as an author and I can guarantee you this next book is so much better. <laughs> this is it. It's a real fine uh, sort of balancing act because on the one hand, as authors, we're balancing, we're... we're um struggling against imposter syndrome and trying to build ourselves up and tell us we can do this we can do this we need to keep going um so you know by saying this i don't mean to kind of defeat that sentiment no. or, and, or make anyone doubt themselves but I, I think it's more just a responsibility to uh employ a little bit of self-examination and um yes. just ask yourself is this as good a book as i'm ever going to write Yes, exactly, exactly. Uh, let's talk about something a little bit more fun now. So what are you mm. working on at the moment? So right now, um, I am desperately trying to uh, make the deadline for the sequel to my present book, which um, in my wisdom, okay, and speaking of mistakes, I, I went and um, put the sequel up for pre-order before the first draft was finished. <gasps> um, and yeah, yeah. That's like one of my biggest fears. <laughs> Yes, yeah, and you know what? At the time, it seems like I, I think when I initially did it, I didn't really realize how kind of serious Amazon takes pre-orders. But I now actually have a couple of dozen pre-orders for the second book, and uh, so I mean, yeah, good on the one hand, but on the other hand, you know, I'm sweating, and yes. <laughs> um, and of course, you know, if I, I didn't, if if I then have to delay that or cancel that, then that affects your ability to do pre-orders in the future through Amazon. Um, so yeah, I'm working on that as fast as I can. Um, and apart from that, just doing the usual author thing of uh, creating random folders on Google Drive uh, with ideas that, you know, uh, on Monday seemed like it's genius and on Thursday I was bored with them and I was like, well, maybe I'll come back to that. Yeah. Um, but I do have a few other things that I uh, would like to write and I'm trying to write. Um, and. Uh, yeah, but fundamentally, yeah, just the sequel to Rebekite at the moment. Perfect. Well, that is the end of our interview. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. It's been wonderful to have you. Fabulous. Lots of fun. Thanks for having me. And if you can just let us know where our listeners can find you, and I will pop all of the links in the description box for anyone who wants to go and check out your book. 
Of course, yeah, I'm on Instagram and Twitter as O-R Lee Author, and that's Lee spelled L-E-A for anyone who's just listening without looking at their screen. Um, and uh, yeah, the book is called uh, Rebekite, that's R-I-E-B-E-C-K-I-T-E, um, uh, and author name O-R Lee, like you said, uh, on, on Amazon. And very soon, hopefully, Audible as well. The audiobook is currently in production. Perfect. Well, everyone will keep a lookout for that. And as I said, thank you so much for coming on. And hopefully we will see more books from you in the future. Wonderful. Thank you very much.